For those of you who are first-timers or maybe you've been here for a while and you're not sure who I am, my name is Michael Scherer and I'm the executive pastor here at Lakeshore. Uh, today is a great day because, well, you're here for one thing. We'd like to welcome everyone that is here, here on the Antioch campus. We want to welcome everyone on the Smyrna campus. And if you're streaming online, glad you could be with us. Uh, today is the second week of our new series on the book of James. And um, this is a, a pretty interesting topic because this is something I believe that, uh, not, not to believe, I know, that we all deal with. And that is resisting temptation. Um, it's going to be one of those things where uh, I, I hope it challenges you. I hope it uh, gets to the core of who you are in your Christian walk. I know that, uh, you know, sometimes we talk about resisting temptation. We think about maybe simple things like, uh, you know, you were tempted to wear maybe some piece of clothing and you decided against it. You know, simple things like that. There's always those kind of temptations. But we're going to go a little bit deeper than that this morning. Uh, things that really affect who we are and our character and our Christian walk, things that are important because it could affect not just our future, it could affect other people's future. But basically, uh, in this topic on resisting t temptation, it's basically how to say no and feel good about it. There was an article uh, to businesses on how to say no to help companies rather than to say yes to benefit the employee. Today we want to talk about how to say no to temptation, then to walk away and feel good about it. Some of you, uh, the yes decisions we make on a daily basis tend to be a little selfish, or at the least not well thought out. And when we act upon some of these decisions, although uh, it may have been for a personal pleasure or a temporary time of enjoyment, it affects the entire company. Or in other words, it affects the entire family. And it would have been better to have just said no. So we must learn to say no to benefit the company or the family instead of saying yes, which may only benefit me. It goes without saying that uh, there are things in this world that lure you into doing things that might not necessarily uh, be illegal or relatively wrong because it is things you like to do. In other words, if you love sports, Depending upon your budget, you may not want to buy season tickets to every college and professional sport in your town. Uh, spending that much money could take away things like the need to pay the mortgage, buying groceries, clothes for the kids, etc. Some of you may remember uh, former Los Angeles Dodgers uh, manager Tommy Lasorda. Back in the day, uh, he went on a slim fast diet, but was not able to complete the program. Now, when asked about it in an interview, he said, well, I'm a strong man, but unfortunately, Linguini is stronger. <laughs> and as Christians, we want to be strong, but there will be times in our lives when it seems that the temptation is stronger. And if we want to live more consistently as Christians, then we need to do a better job at resisting temptation. We all need direction. That is why it's important that we go to God's Word and then do our best to follow what it says. The good news is that temptation in itself is not a sin. Sin is sin. Once you give in to temptation, then that is sin. The importance of this subject cannot be stressed enough. We all know what sin does in our relationship with God. It separates us. Sin separates us from God. And if we are wise enough to follow the counsel that God gives through His Word then we may be able, among other things, save some marriages, keep from going to jail, 
or even help save someone for eternity. Some of that counsel comes to us in the book of James. And if you wouldn't mind, let's go ahead and turn over there with me right now. If you've got your digital phones there, you can use that as well. We're on version. But the first point I want to make to you this morning is the certainty of temptation. Look at verse 13. It says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Now notice he said, when tempted, not if, not maybe, but when tempted, the inevitable that will happen. And it's important to understand the differences between trials, tests, and temptations. Trials are things that happen naturally because we live in a sinful world. There's disease, poverty, storms that harm communities. And we're going to experience these trials because we live in an imperfect world. Now, tests are a difficulty that is deliberately sent by God that will reveal the depth of our character and ultimately is intended to bring out the best in us. God's purpose for the test is that we mature and that we actually pass the test. And temptation, we need to understand that it is sent by Satan to bring out your worst. It's a deliberate enticement to sin. Satan's goal is that you disobey God and become weak. Satan wants to entrap you in sin so that you will suffer defeat and that you ultimately find death. In the Old Testament, there is an official in the Syrian army named Naaman who went through all three of these. Naaman contracted leprosy. Now, leprosy would be considered a trial because he was exposed to the disease. Later on, Naaman went to Elisha and asked him to heal him. So Elisha said, Go dip seven times in the Jordan River and you will be healed. Simple. That was the test. The Jordan is a muddy river that, uh, that would have seemed unpleasant at the very least to dip in, but it was going to be a test of Naaman's faith and a testimony to the others of the power of God working through his life. Naaman was then tempted to refuse later on as we read the story when Elisha instructed him to do, but Satan enticed him using his pride, trying to make him think that he was a little bit too sophisticated. So don't go and make a fool of yourself. So Naaman went to turn away. But as the story goes, he changed his mind. He went back. He dipped himself seven times in the Jordan River, and he was healed. He resisted the temptation. He went through the test, and he overcame the trial. And I believe even though we may not have leprosy or we may not have things that are like that, we all definitely will have to go through our own personal trials, our own personal test. Now, there may be some Christians who, because of their level of spiritual maturity or ability to discern spiritual things, in this, sometimes will have a tendency to think that maybe that they are temptation-proof. Do you know any of these people? But... That is not possible. In Luke 4, after Jesus' baptism, he was led into the desert for 40 days to be tempted by Satan. In Hebrews chapter 2, it says Jesus was made like his brothers so that he would become a merciful and faithful high priest who had suffered when tempted and can now help those who were being tempted. We will never be at a point in our spiritual lives where we will be out of the reach of temptation. Did you hear what I just said? There will never be a point in your life where you will be out of the reach of temptation, ever. 
temptation is a certainty. Every Christian will have a problem with temptation throughout your entire life. If temptation, can't, if temptation can find its way to Jesus Christ, our Savior, it can find its way to you and me. Now, at different stages in our Christian lives, there's going to be, unfortunately, an intense desire to sin. And believe it or not, this is not an indication that you are out of sync with God. Matter of fact, I believe it could be just the opposite. Because of your relationship with God and how well you're living for Him, Satan needs to halt your progress. We know that those temptations can come in various ways and at different stages in our lives. When you were young, it might have been sensuality. In your young adult years, it could have been materialism. In your older years, it may be pride. I was warned personally as a young adult that if I ever felt that life was so good that if everything was going my way and if I had little to no worries in my life, in other words, little to no temptation in my life, that I should be scared. Not scared because something bad was about to happen or was looming over my life, but scared because Satan was happy with the position he had in my life and there was no reason for him to work that hard on me. I'm not tempted to get drunk. I'm not more spiritual than you. That's just not something that appeals to me like it does some people on the weekends here in downtown Nashville. But I am tempted to lie. To make something sound more important than it really is or say whatever to win an argument. I'm not prone to gossip. I get into enough trouble with what I say directly to people. But I am tempted with anger. To lose control sometimes seems like it would be good therapy or I might even try to rationalize it. I've never been a racist. Being raised in a children's home, if someone showed they wanted to be my friend, that was good enough for me. And it didn't matter what color you were. But I do get tempted with lust. When I see someone dressed provocatively on television, I have to make sure that I don't think beyond what is appropriate. Now, the fact that I have a temptation to lie, have anger, and lust may come as a shock to some of you. Some of you, maybe not. <laughs> but that doesn't make me any less spiritual than you. It just recognizes the reality of the temptations in my life. It's, it's identifying the anticipated attacks, guys, the anticipated attacks of the adversary. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11 says, Don't let Satan outwit you, for we are not unaware of his schemes. Guys, we're not dumb. We know what's going on. We know who's trying to trip us up. It may seem like it's your family or friends or job or relationships, whatever it may be, but that's just what the devil's using. Personal temptations, outward temptations, they're all there, but they're all schemes from the enemy. Not only do you need to know what your spiritual gifts are and use those for the kingdom, you also need to know of your vulnerabilities and protect yourself. Righteousness is not being exempt from temptation. Righteousness is facing temptation as a daily reality and overcoming it. 
Look back at verse 13. It also gives us the source of temptation. Evil. When tempted, no one should say, God has tempted me, for God cannot be tempted by what? Evil. God and evil cannot exist together. God is not the author of evil. Satan is. God may allow you to go through some trials to strengthen you and some tests to examine you, but when you're attracted to sin, do not blame God. God does not traffic in the immoral. We always seem to blame someone else for our sins, don't we? And that includes God. We live in a world where it's always somebody else's fault, no matter what it is. God asked Adam why he ate the fruit, and what did Adam say? It's because of that woman you made. (laughs) She made me eat it. It's your fault, God. You created her. Simple. There's a story about an overweight pastor. No, it's not me. Story of an overweight pastor who announced to his staff that he was going on a diet. But the next day, he shows up to the office with a box of donuts, and two of them had already been eaten. The secretary said, I thought you were going on a diet. Well, the pastor said, I I was, but it just wasn't God's will. (laughs) Well, she says, how do you know it's not God's will? He says, well, I always drive by the bakery, and I was so hungry this morning, so I asked God that if it was his will that I not eat any of those donuts, to not let there be a parking space in front of the bakery. (laughs) He said, sure enough, after the eighth time around the block, there it was. Right there in front. We're always going to try to blame someone else or something else for our sin. Remember, God cannot be tempted. He cannot be tempted by evil, and nor does he tempt anyone. Just go ahead and get that out of your mind. It's not God doing whatever it is you feel he's doing. Because if anything, he's there to lift you up and bring you out of it. Verse 14 shows us the real problem. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, is dragged away and enticed. There was a book written by G. Wallace Hamilton on human nature. Of all things, it was called Horns and Halos. And he said that deep within all of us are two natures. One, we are created by God, and so we are attracted to do good and do things that we seem deem right or righteous. But then we also bear in our hearts the image of Adam and inherit the inclination to do evil. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Paul even said that I know that within my flesh there can dwell no good thing. And let's not forget how good Satan is at remembering our inclination to do evil. He was there in the garden when Adam and Eve failed. Satan is a specialist, if you will, in bringing out the fleshy desires that we have. He knows how to arouse desire. But here is where things should be different for you and I. Once you become a Christian, it is your responsibility to say no to the flesh. Romans 13 tells us to not even think about the ways of the flesh. Craig Macy wrote, Two natures beat within my breast. The one is foul, the one is blessed. The one I love, the one I hate. But the one I feed, 
people dominate. It can be said that the reason we are inclined to evil is because we have an evil nature within us. And to help us understand that, which in turn will help us to resist temptation, I believe, we find in verses 14 and 15 where it gives us the second point, the sequence of temptation. This is the only place in Scripture where we see the process of allurement established. It shows here a pattern for temptation, if you will. Verse 14. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then, after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. First, we are dragged away. The spiritual, if you will, is negated. Because once you are taken away from that which is good, then it gets easier to not do good. Or be around good. But we are drawn away from that which is good. We are removed from that which is spiritual. Now Satan knows that if he is to succeed, he is to drag us away from everything that is good. Our church, our family, anything that we would consider good or legitimately good in our lives. Now Peter was brave. Peter was brave when he was around Jesus. He even got to the point where he drew a sword and cut off a person's ear to defend Jesus on the spot. But when he was drugged, if you will, over to the area around the fire, he wilted under pressure. We are dragged away, and then we are enticed. Desire is stimulated. Enticed means persuasion, baiting of a hook, seduction. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote about temptation in a work of all things called temptation. And in this, he describes what occurs, he says, In our members, there is a slumbering inclination toward desire, which is both sudden and fierce. With irresistible power, desire seizes mastery over the flesh. All at once, a secret smoldering fire is kindled. The flesh burns and it is in flames. It makes no difference if it is sexual desire or ambition or vanity or desire for revenge or love of fame or power or greed or money. At this moment, God is quite unreal to us. He loses all reality and only desire for the creature is real. The powers of clear discrimination and of decision are taken from us. Guys, we are dragged away. We are enticed, and then the sin is committed. It is only after desire has conceived that it gives birth to sin. This is when it becomes action. Our behavior actually changes. You've seen this. Max Licato wrote, Satan aims his dart at your weakest point and bullseye. You lose your temper. You lust. You lie. You take a drag. You drink. You follow the crowd. You rationalize and say yes. You forget your promises. You forget basically who you are. So the spiritual is removed. The desire is stimulated. The sin is committed. And then a habit is formed. See the phrase in verse 15, and sin when it is full grown. Sin is like a malignant tumor. If left untouched, it grows inside of you and consumes you. Sin is crazy like that because at first there's pleasure 
and then there's emptiness, and then there's guilt. But then there's a strange craving to do it all over again. You see, since you were able to do it once, the second time was easier, and the guilt continues to decrease. There's a law of increased appetite and diminishing return that takes over. Have you ever heard of this? It's the law of increased appetite and diminishing return. You have to increase the sin in order to get the same amount of pleasure. You may have started smoking only one joint, but then that was not enough. Soon it became a monthly habit. Then there was enough, so it becomes weekly. And for some, it ends up being twice daily or more. Now, the same can be said about anything. I just use it as an, ex- as an example. But stealing can start off as a childhood dare, but grow into something else. Lying can start off as a motive to protect one's feelings or exaggerate personal accomplishments, but grows into a nonstop habit. Flirting, especially for people who are married, which, by the way, there's no such thing as innocent flirting. Flirting can grow into something more and will because we have now given birth to sin. Romans chapter 6, verse 18 says, Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him, you are slaves to the one you obey? And, eventually out, and the eventual outcome will be that the soul has been destroyed. Sin, when it has become full grown, gives birth to death. So the soul has to be destroyed. That's Satan's aim. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 says, Don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Now, now something that we should never forget when we sow sin is the pain of the harvest. The pain of the harvest always exceeds the pleasure of the sowing. In this passage, it mentions that God is the one who gives us our gifts. But the devil doesn't give us any gifts. He lets us experience the pleasure knowing that we are going to have to pay for it later. And the pain of the harvest always exceeds the pleasure of the sowing. Bob Russell, the former lead pastor at Southeast Christian Church, said it best. He says, you sow a thought, you reap a deed. You sow a deed, you reap a habit. You sow a habit, you reap a character. You sow a character, you reap a destiny. Now, starting with verse 16, we can see what we could call, if you will, the secret of overcoming temptation, our third point. The secret of overcoming temptation. Now, it would be easy to try and give you some kind of spiritual formula on how to overcome temptation, like surrounding yourselves with like-minded Christians like you're doing today, which is great. It's needed. Uh, Constant prayer and things like this. But when your desires and passions are brought to the forefront, it may be hard to remember some arbitrary do this formula. So to help us, I want you to remember two words. And this is kind of the secret. It's not really a secret. It sounds good. But two words. Be smart. That's it. That's the secret. Be smart. When you're around temptation, be smart. Show some intelligence. Verse 16 says... Don't be deceived. Sin is stupid. (laughs) Didn't say that. (laughs) I added that on there. (laughs) Don't be deceived. But sin is stupid. Be smart. 
Stop and think about what is about to happen because where you are being led is being led by the great deceiver, Satan. And he wants you to be dumb when it comes to making your own decisions. He wants you to act first and think later. Don't let your decisions or your desires dictate your behavior. Be smart. You know what usually happens when someone is first caught in their sin? They don't feel guilty. But they usually say, how could I have been so stupid? How stupid is it when promising politicians get caught cheating and ruin their political careers? How stupid is it when athletes throw their careers away after getting caught betting on their sport while still playing that sport? Certain Hollywood stars were dumb to make millions of dollars and never pay income tax and think they would never get caught. And there are a list of those in Scripture, guys, who did dumb things. Eve, Samson, Moses, David, Judas, Peter, Ananias, and Sapphira. And I imagine that there may be some here today who are flirting with sin. And it would be dumb to jeopardize your influence, your reputation, your health, your career, your family, and maybe even your destiny. For just a few moments of pleasure. And you may even think that you are being clever right now because some of you are actually getting away with it. And you think that you're smart enough to know when to stop. Your enjoyment is, is just enjoying the moment, having this temporary pleasure. Author Gordon McDonald calls it tiptoeing on the cobwebs. You actually think that you can tip through through cobwebs without getting entangled. But the Bible's pretty clear. It says your sins will find you out. We read of Moses that after he'd grown up that he chose not to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter anymore. But he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoy the pleasure of sin for just a short time. Moses regarded disgrace for the sake of God as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to see his reward. And Moses was smart. And you and I can be just like Moses in that and saying no to temporary pleasure and yes, if you will, to ultimate joy. It is smart to stay in communication with the giver of good gifts. Verse 17 says this. Every good and perfect gift is from where? It's from above. Is it from Satan? No. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. It's just smart to be in a partnership with someone who's dependable. Verse 18 says, He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all created. Now remember, first fruits, that's not a crazy thing to say. In, the, in this time, all the first, what first fruits basically meant was the firstborn, the first crop, all that was committed and dedicated to the Lord. And he's looked, he looks at us that way. That he wants us to be that type of first fruits where we are committed and dedicated to the Lord. God needs you to be a demonstration of what he can do in the lives of others. And it would be smart not to let him down. You can resist temptation if you really want to. You know how I know this? Because God chose to give us birth through the word of truth. The Bible tells us that we cannot be tempted by more than what we can handle. 
That means, quite simply, that when we sin, we can't blame anybody else. We chose to sin. We were not overpowered by some outward motivation or physical whatever. It was our own evil desire, as the Scripture tells us. But we had a chance to not give in, but we did. We chose to give in. But you can resist temptation. Remember that temptation is a certainty. It's going to happen. And recognize that there is a pattern of temptation that will lead us into sin and to guard our hearts against it. And finally, I want to challenge you to remember the secret of overcome temptation, which, like I said before, it's really not a secret. We'll call it, though, godly common sense. How about that? But be smart. You can choose to believe Satan and be deceived and live a lie, or you can choose to believe God and receive his life. The choice is yours. It's been said that every day is an election day. You ever heard this? The devil's against you. God is for you. You had the deciding vote. Father God, we want to thank you for the blessings you give us each and every day. We want to thank you for your son. Thank you for him dying on the cross. And and not just dying on the cross to show some kind of symbol, but knowing that he gave up everything for me. I just pray, God, that if there's somebody here this morning who's looking for a home church and they just, they've been looking all over the place, God, help them find Lakeshore to be that place so they can, they can get in, dig in, and start reading your word and surround themselves with people who can build them up and, and encourage them and continue giving them the truth that you've given to us. And God, if there's somebody here this morning who has been walking the fence, man, help them get pushed off the fence. Help them understand that if they have not received you as their Lord, their personal Lord and Savior, that that is something that can happen today. Help us all, Lord, to resist the temptation that we're going to face each and every day by trusting in you. In Jesus' name, amen.